0: Amen and amen. Can you say, can you say, brother and sister, this morning, it is well with my soul? Those words sometimes are very sweet coming off our lips, and sometimes they are a little bit harder, but we know in him, in him, it is well. Praise the Lord. If you would turn to Micah chapter 4. As my brother alluded earlier, uh, there is some relief that we are through chapters 1 through 3. They are hard passages, assuredly. But we would not know. We would not understand the depths of God's grace and His love if we did not know what we had been saved from. And so it is good for us on occasion. To look upon our sin. And the, con- the, the consequences of that sin. And the result of that sin. And to look at it in horror. And say. Praise be the Lord. That he has saved me. Praise be the Lord. That he paid the price. It is good for us to understand the depths of grace and mercy when we understand what we have been saved from. So for that reason, we are thankful for chapters one through three to show us those things, to remind us of those things. But oh, the glory of seeing the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for Micah chapter 4 and 5 next week. And so if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning, reading all of chapter 4. So if in the middle of this you need to have a seat, we totally understand. But let's come and hear from him. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1, It shall come to pass in the latter days... That the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day declares the Lord I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted and the lame I will make the remnant and those who are were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore and you O tower of the flock hill of the daughter of Zion to you shall it come the former dominion shall come kingship For the daughter of Jerusalem, now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, let her be defiled and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Father, we certainly live in a time and a place where it is easy to be distracted, where it is easy to be disheartened and depressed, where it is easy to be disappointed by the things that are going on around us. Father, I pray that as we, as we hear from you this morning, this prophecy that you have given to the house of Israel so long ago, Father, I pray that we would be reminded of your promises, that we would be reminded of the hope you have given us, and that we would be reminded of our salvation. I pray that if there is one here this morning that is struggling in the midst of, of difficult things, that they would hear of your love for them, of your plan for them, and that they would reach out that they would grab hold of you this morning. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I said, the past few weeks, we have been confronted in Micah chapters 1 through 3 by the seriousness of our sins. And again, it's good for us to understand some of these things so that we might better understand that which he has given us. You see, the message of repentance, the message of the gospel truly, is a word of warning for those that are headed towards destruction, that it might sound the alarm that they are headed the wrong way. And it is also a message of hope. Micah in chapters 1 through 3 gives that message of warning. He reminds us that all of sin is repulsive to God. So much so that when God poured the sin of the world upon Christ on the cross. That he could not look upon it. He had to turn his back. So much so then more than that when he looks on the sin of the world, the sin that has taken what God declares as good and has made it evil, that his heart is broken. We understand that not only is it repulsive to God, but all of us have participated. Romans makes it clear that all of us find guilt when it comes to the law. In fact, when you look at a passage like Romans chapter 1, which we read Uh, We read a while back, it says that they, people, were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, Ruthless. When we read a list like that, we're reminded that there is not one of us who can stand before God and say, I am innocent. You may, be a, you may not be a murderer. You may not be a thief. You may not be an inventor of evil as we may define that. But surely we are gossips. Surely we are disobedient to our parents at times, we struggle with envy and unforgiveness. At times, we struggle with deceit and pride and gluttony. Truly, none of us can stand before him and declare our innocence. All of us are guilty of that which God cannot look upon. And because of that, all of us are impacted by the consequences of We saw in Micah chapter 3 last week that even though it was the leaders who had led the people astray, that it was the kings and the prophets and the priests, that it still impacts those that are under them, those that have allowed those things to continue, that it influences them to do the same. And so we have the consequences, we have things around our world that we see the result of sin Whether it be war or famine, whether it be disease or natural disaster, we see and deal with daily the consequences of a broken world that is the result of humanity, my sin and your sin. All of us are impacted by those consequences in our daily life, but we're even more than that impacted by the consequences of eternity. That we deal with death and we face eternal separation from Him, very literally hell. Again, these are heavy things, but the second Micah in chapter four turns to the second part of the message of repentance. He turns from that message of warning, he turns to the message of hope. He reminds us here in chapter four, though he may not use the word repentance directly, he reminds us that all of us, all of humanity, has hope in repentance. That there is not one, no one, that has committed a sin so evil, so dastardly, that they are not within the reach of his grace. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that he desires for all of us to come into repentance and to know the things that we speak of this morning that Micah proclaims so long ago. And so I want to, as as we go through Micah chapter 4, he gives this picture of hope that only comes through repentance and he he starts with that which is far off. And he moves to that which is more immediate. And so we're going to do the same this morning. First, he starts with the promises for eternity. You'll notice in verse 1, he says, It shall come to pass in the latter days. Your translation may say last days, or it may even say end of days. The point being, though, that the prophecy that Micah speaks of at the beginning of chapter 4 is not meant to be an immediate thing, but rather it is sometime off. Micah is not sure when. As a prophet, it is kind of like, and we're going to go into this more uh, next week, but when a prophet receives a vision for God, more often than not, it's like someone looking at a 2D picture and trying to tell you how far that mountain is from them. It's impossible There's no way to judge distance in that capacity. In the same way, the the prophet is unsure of when this will happen, but he is sure of its certainty that it will happen. And what does he proclaim? He proclaims the glory of God will return to Israel. He says that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, meaning not physically the highest, but most in importance. It shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths." For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the, word and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He says in that day, in verse 8, And you, O tower of the flock, the hill of the daughter of Zion, in other words, Jerusalem, to you shall it come, the former dominion shall come, the kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Israel and Judah in this time, they had been looking back and desiring the glory of the kingdom of David and Solomon. They wanted that again, the peace and the prosperity that had happened under those two kings' reign. And God proclaims to them here, it will return. It will come back. It's interesting. We see a similar prophecy in Revelation chapter 20 and we've read this many times but it bears repeating because it is our it is our promise for the future then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and i saw the holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven as prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Going to chapter 22, and the angel showed me the river, the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the lamb through the middle, the street of the city also on either side of the river, the tree of life and its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit in every month. The leaves were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God of the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and nights will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. They will reign forever and ever. The glory of God will return to Israel, that his name will be known, that his throne will be established. The glory of God will be seen by the nations and they will dwell in it, they will worship in it. Which brings us to the the next point, the kingdom of God will be in its fullness. This is the completion of the prayer that Christ taught us how to pray. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Micah says that prayer will be answered. says he will judge between many peoples and he will decide disputes for the strong nation's Far, for strong nations far away, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and they will and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they le- learn war anymore. But they will sit every man under his vine and, every, and under his fig tree. No one will make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Again, going back to Revelation 21, says in verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Going to verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. But its light, it, But its light will the nations walk. By its light the nations will walk and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it and the gates will never shut by day and there will be no night. We see this incredible prophecy of Micah of what is coming and we see it encouraged throughout the rest of the prophets. And then even in Revelation, we see it high and lifted up. This idea that there is coming a day when God's glory will come upon the earth. That the old will pass away and the new will be established. And the kingdom will be of God will be established in its fullness for all of eternity. And for that, we look forward and say, Lord, come soon. When we look at a world around us that is racked by war and natural disaster. When we see the lives of individuals destroyed around us over and over again. We look to those promises of no more tears, no more death, and no more disease. Of no more night and no more darkness. And we say, Lord, come soon. And oh, that we would remember that those promises are sure. Paul tells us that his resurrection is the seal of those promises. It is the assurance. The fact that Jesus Christ did not stay in that grave, but he rose three days later as the prophets had foretold and as he has promised is the proof that we can be confident in the promises of eternity that are made. Oh, that we would be excited by that, that we would glorify in that. And yet, for many Christians, we look to that promise of glory. We look to that promise of a new heaven and a new earth. And it seems so distant from us that it is not something that we dwell upon as much as we should. It seems so distant from us that it does not change our lives. It does not change our speech and our conduct. We ask, well, what are you going to do for me today? Micah brings it a little closer home then. It's kind of an odd transition. If you look in verse 9 of the chapter, it's a little bit weird because the, the, the first eight verses are all spent talking about the return of God's glory to Israel and they're exciting and they're hopeful and they're joyous. And then in 9, there is a change of tone. He says, now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain sees you like a woman in labor, writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you will be, shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Micah says, the greatness of God, the promise of God is that his glory is coming, that his kingdom will be established. And in that we should be excited But understand that in the hope for the future, it will not always be easy. In the hope for the future, it will not always be easy. That on this side of heaven, we will will continue to face difficulties. That we still live in a broken land. That we still deal with the consequences of, of sin in general and even our own sin. Brothers and sisters, this is not just for the lost. This is for us too. We still deal with consequences. We may not deal with judgment, but certainly we still deal with discipline. That when we choose to walk away, that when we choose to take Christ off the throne of our hearts and replace him with another passion, another desire that takes priority, That we still face discipline from a heavenly father that is not always easy nor pleasant. Micah warns the people, yes, his kingdom is coming. Yes, it is a glorious thing. But there is still hardship to be faced. He speaks as he speaks of the Babylonian exile of what would happen 115 years after this prophecy. He speaks of a time when Judah would no longer repent, when they would completely turn their hearts away from God and God would use the nation of Babylon, which was not yet a power when he wrote this, when he would use the nation of Babylon to come in and completely flatten Jerusalem, to drag the people away that they may live in the floodplains of Babylon, away from the home that had been promised to them, that they saw as their birthright. He says, there is still, still hardship ahead. But he says, even in those moments, don't fear. He says, there you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem. There the Lord will take you from the hand of your enemies. Even in the places that are hardest, Even when we are under discipline, there is hope. Even in the face of disease, there is hope. Even in the face of war and crisis, there is hope. Micah takes it a little bit closer, though. He says not only is there promise for eternity not only is there hope for the future but there is salvation for today looking at verse 11 it says now many nations are assembled against you saying let her be defiled and let Our eyes gaze upon Zion, for they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. And you shall beat into pieces many people and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the earth. He says... There is salvation for today. What does he speak of? In the context of those that are listening to Micah, what does he speak of? He speaks of the Assyrian siege of Jerusalem. If you would, turn back just a little bit in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 18. We have the record of this event. It happens during the time of Hezekiah, the king that we read about last week, that Micah prophesied under along with Isaiah. 2 Kings chapter 18. Starting in verse 13, you see the Assyrians come. Now by this time, they had already flattened Israel. You see, Micah and Isaiah and others had prophesied to the two kingdoms, Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. And they had told them, repent, turn from your evil ways. They gave them warning. Judah responded. Israel did not. Israel said, we, Lord, will not allow that to happen. The Lord will not allow us to be crushed. The Lord will relent from disaster. We're his people. And so they chose to continue in their evil ways. And Lord sent Assyria, and he decimated Israel. Their capital was completely destroyed and overturned. And then they marched. They continued to march on to Jerusalem. And they surrounded the capital and they began a PR campaign of sorts, yelling to the soldiers on the, on the tops of the walls of the horrible things that their army was going to do to them and to their families, trying to dishearten them so that when the fighting began they felt like they had no hope. I'm not going to read to you the things that they told them. Further than that, the king of Assyria sends a message to Hezekiah and he says this, he, said, he says, thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. This is chapter 19 if you want to turn over there, verse 9. Or sorry, verse 10. There you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? The king of Assyria calls out God here. He says, don't, let, don't be fooled. God's not gonna save you. He's not going to save you just the way the rest of these idols didn't. We're going to come in and we're going to decimate. We're going to destroy. Hezekiah hears this message. And he is crushed. He's crushed. But you see, something was different in Hezekiah's life. Hezekiah had heard the message of warning. And he had led the people of Judah in repentance. It led the people of Judah in revival, because he had heard the word of Micah, He'd heard the word of Isaiah. They had turned from their evil ways. They had opened the temple back up for worship. They had destroyed the idols in their lives. And so though Hezekiah, in this moment sees the great crisis of life, he knows where to go. And so in verse 14 it says, "Hezekiah received." Hezekiah received this letter. From the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands. They have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods. But the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from, the hand, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Hezekiah runs to the Lord, and he lays down his burdens. He lays down the crisis at the feet of God and says, for your glory, save us. Save us. God does something remarkable. We see Isaiah respond. The prophet Isaiah responds to Hezekiah by the word of God and says, basically, I've got this. And in, 20, in verse 35 of chapter 19, you see the resolution it says, that night the Lord that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib a king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived in Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Neshrak his god Ambrelech and Shezar, his son, struck him down with a sword and escaped to the land of Ariat. And Esrahaddon, his son reigned in his place. Read that first part again. The, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of Assyrians... Okay, you heard the king. They came. They surrounded Jerusalem. They were an imminent threat. They were at the, at the doorsteps of destruction. They were mocking God. They were declaring that they would do to them what they had done to all the others. You hear of Hezekiah's prayer and Hezekiah's and the salvation that God brings. Now, read 11 again. Now, many nations are assembled against you saying, let her be defiled. Let her eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan that he has gathered them as she's to the threshing floor Micah's declaring salvation yes is for eternity and that's glorious that he there is hope for tomorrow but God is here in the now too he's here in the present as well he wants to save you now Oh, brothers and sisters, my prayer for us as believers, my prayer for myself is that I would not just hold on to the promises of eternity as glorious as they are, that I would not just live for that, but I would remember God wants to save now. And that I would let that change my thoughts, my actions, and my words. See, the Lord has these same things for us. He has Spoken of our promise, our hope, and our blessing. He gives us a promise for the future. John chapter 14 verse 3. Maybe one of the most well-known of the passages in the Gospels. It says, let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Oh, brothers and sisters, may we remember the promises for the future. In the midst of difficult things, may we remember that he has assured us of his return that he is coming back, that we may live with him forever in a place of perfection, in his kingdom, where every tear is dried, where there are no more goodbyes. May we remember that we have a hope for tomorrow. Romans 8, 26 through 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and He searches the hearts. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that. For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We have promise for the future. We have hope for tomorrow. That the difficulties that we face today, that God is using them to conform us into the image of Christ, that we may know him better. It does not mean, nor are we promised, that he will remove all difficulty from our life. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It is the understanding that those difficulties and those trials are meant to strengthen our faith, to help us to understand our greater dependence upon him. But we can know that they will not last forever, that they are temporary, and that in the end, they are for our good. We have a promise for the future. We have a hope for tomorrow, and we have salvation for today the philippian jailer heard the songs of paul and silas all night long the songs of the gospel of the grace of god shown to man through the son jesus christ and that night when those when that earthquake struck and the doors of the jail were flung open and he thought for sure that his life was forfeit that he was Facing his own end because assuredly those prisoners had all escaped. Those that he was responsible for had all run away. He hears the voice from inside the prison. Don't harm yourself. And he realizes in that moment that his greatest need is not physical. That it's not anything this worth can give he realizes that his greatest need is salvation. He runs in and he kneels before these men who probably 24 hours earlier or less, he had beaten and humiliated, and he asks in desperation, what must I do to be saved? And the response of these men is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe. Believe that you need forgiveness. Believe that His path is the only way. Believe that He is the Lord, that He has the right to direct your thoughts and your path. Swear your allegiance to Him, and you will be saved. It's not complicated. The Lord desires promises for our future, hope for tomorrow, salvation today. How then should we live? And we'll close with this quickly. How then should we live? In light of the promise, in light of hope, in light of blessing, how should we live? We live with thankfulness. Oh, that we would wake up every morning, that we would go to bed every evening, that our days would be filled with thankfulness of the the promises, of the hope, and of the salvation that we have been given, that we understand. Brothers and sisters, it is hard to be bitter. It is hard to be jealous. It is hard to be unforgiving. It is hard to be distracted when we are people of thankfulness. Let us be thankful for what he's done. Let us be people of joy. Not always people of happiness. There are times when we struggle with grief. There are times that when we struggle with hardship. But let us find a joy that the world can never take away. Because we know these promises. Because we know this hope. Because we know our salvation. And that can never be taken from us. Let us be a people of hope. It is easy in this world in this day to feel overwhelmed. It is easy to watch the news and go, I can't handle it at all. It's easy as a grandparent and a parent to think, what is next for my kid, for my grandchild? It's easy to be caught up in all that is happening, to be depressed, It is easy to be despondent and discouraged. It is easy to be frustrated and even angry. The world gets that. We have hope. We look ahead and see his work and his promises. We know his salvation. Let us have hope. Let us not buckle under the pressure of the world, but let us stand tall and proclaim him to a world that needs to hear joy and hope and salvation. Let us say it from the rooftops. He has come and he is coming again. Stop going that way and start following him that you may know, that you may know him. That you may know all of these things. That we would live lives differently in light of these things so that others may desire them. This morning this morning as we ponder upon this, as we ponder upon the promise of heaven and of a new earth and a new heavens, as we Ponder upon hope for tomorrow, that God is still working in our lives as we ponder upon the salvation that he has given us now. May we respond. Maybe you're here and you you don't have a relationship with him. You're not following him. You never really have. Maybe you're, you're a good person, you've gone to church, but you've never really followed him. This morning you can know hope. This morning, you can know contentment and joy, even in the midst of struggles. Will you ask him to forgive you? Will you turn away from the wet direction you're walking now and the things you're doing now and pursue him? Believer, if you're here this morning, it is easy for us to get distracted. It's easy for us to have other things in our life that take precedent. It's easy for us to have other passions and desires that we pursue over him. It's easy for us to get hurt. This morning, will you come and will you just confess and say, Lord, I know that there was something better. I want that first love. I want to remember that promise. I want to remember that hope. I want to remember that salvation. Lord, forgive me. Revival starts when his people repent. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're going to have that time of response. Maybe you need to come grab one of us and just say, hey, how do I do this thing called salvation? How, what What's next? We'd love to grab you and take you and, and lead you in that and help you in that. Maybe this morning you're in the midst of crisis, or maybe there's a sin in your life that that God is convicting you of, maybe this morning you need to just come to the altar. There's nothing special about this place, but there is something symbolic as what Hezekiah did, that he comes and he falls on his knees and he just lays it out before the Lord and says, this is yours, I can't do it. Maybe you need to grab a friend and say, hey, will you come pray with me? Maybe you need to go find somebody and say, hey, I need to offer forgiveness. Maybe you need to stand and praise because he has promised us, he has given us hope and we have salvation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Father, again, we must say thank you. Lord, as we think about your hope, (laughs) Lord, as we think about these amazing promises of, of heaven and of your coming, as we think about the salvation that you've given us, that we no longer face the consequences of our mistakes, but that you instead have paid them on our behalf. And Father, I pray that we would have hearts of thanksgiving, that we would sing good praises. I pray that we would be excited about these things. That our lives and our our words and our actions would be different because of these things. Father, I pray that if there is something else on my heart that comes before you, Father, I repent. Father, forgive me of it. Remove it from me. That you may be first. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.